0: The guy I want to talk about today is called Mark Lohr. Now, you've probably never heard of this guy and that's okay, but I'm certain you've used or at least heard of some of the products and goods from the businesses that he has built and sold. This guy's really impressive. He went from being a bit of a class clown, not apparently, not even knowing that you had to actually apply to college to get in to starting a few multi-million dollar businesses. Most recently, selling his company Jets to Walmart for $3.3 billion. Nowadays, I heard that Mark is looking to start his own futuristic city in the U.S. called Telosa. Clearly, he's had a very, very eventful and interesting life. And now he is very, very successful. But how did he do it? Stick around to find out. begin because this is the first episode of the first ever podcast series I'm doing I just wanted to take this time to welcome you to the podcast and say thank you for your time um I'm really excited because I, I've never done this before but you know I, I wanted to before we start talk about why I'm doing what I'm doing what the point of this podcast is and what is it that I'm going to cover uh, as a bit of background my name is Charles I'm currently a student Uh, living in London and I have a lot of interests, but lately my biggest interest has been in business, understanding how companies work and understanding how to build them. And I found myself before starting this whole podcast thing, spending a lot of my free time looking at the life stories of business leaders, of CEOs, of entrepreneurs. And I think there are two reasons for this. Number one is because I I think they're super interesting. Maybe it's just my kind of nosy, and maybe curious nature, but there's another part of this that I, th- I think has been really, really important to my own personal development. I think looking at all these stories of these entrepreneurs and business leaders and people who have attained a high level of success in their respective fields has allowed me to really learn from their lives. You know, on on one hand, you learn about business tactics, you learn about how they grow and scale their companies, their organizations, and maybe, you know, rise up the ranks from, you know, a very low position in a company to becoming a CEO. You learn about the trials and tribulations that they have to go through to get to where they are now. And on the other hand, I think outside of a business context, you learn about how these people face obstacles that you know, seem to be impossible to overcome, but they do end up persevering and overcoming overcoming it every single time. That's why they're successful. And I think this is not only a mindset, but uh, just represents a whole bundle of skills, I think, that are useful in our everyday lives. Because who doesn't, you know, face challenges in business, in your personal lives, and who doesn't sometimes feel like, you know I I don't know what to do now I feel like I want to give up so I, I hope that you know that this podcast series will serve as you know an entertaining entertaining platform for you to listen to but also at the same time you know bring some value to your life maybe if you're interested in starting a business at some point or maybe you already have a have a company or you're pursuing a career and you would very much like to hear about the stories of how some other people have done it and made it. Uh, hopefully some of the lessons that we'll learn from these uh, entrepreneurs and business leaders will help you. Uh, maybe some of these stories will be stories that you can look back on in the future and think, oh, you know, I could you know, learn something from this guy and implement it in my own life. And these stories may be of value. So that's the whole point of me trying to do this, and and that's why this podcast exists. The way in which I want to go about this is talk to you about the life stories of these CEOs, these entrepreneurs, and these leaders, and at different points in their lives, stop and talk about the lessons that we can extract from different points in their lives. And the whole point of this is to run a bit of an analysis of what they've done, or what my understanding is of what they've done, and see how we can take these lessons and implement it in a more general sense. Uh, it could be within the, a business context, it could be, could be just in, in our daily personal daily lives. And, you know, I hope that, you know, this will be a format that everybody's okay with. And I hope that this will be something that would really be able to help someone out there. And even if it's just one person who this podcast is able to maybe inspire or help, in that, that would really mean a lot to me. So let's start this, thought, this first uh, podcast episode. So this first episode, I decided to start talking about Mark lore. Now, I'm trying to avoid some of the, the Elon Musks and some of the Bill Gateses and Mark Zuckerbergs. Because everybody's heard of them, and everybody knows their stories. Uh, I'm certain on your Instagram or on your TikTok pages, your feeds, you know, you probably, as you scroll, will see something about Elon Musk. You probably see something about Larry Ellison, probably see something about uh, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. And while I think there is a lot of value to extract from learning about their life stories and how they've run their businesses. I I feel that it it would perhaps be more valuable to talk about some entrepreneurs who you may or may not have really heard of because there are a lot of people out there who've done some really cool things and I think that we could really learn a lot from them. So I I don't want to to restrict myself to people on the Forbes list or restrict myself to people who are currently trending on Google and talk about guys who I think have attained a high level of success in their own right and see what we can learn from them. <clears throat> and I couldn't think of a better person to start uh, than with Mark Lore, because this guy is really, really interesting. Uh, I think, you know, he's relatively well-known but not quite kind of trending on every other page on Instagram and whatnot. And I feel that, you know, his story is, uh, is super, super interesting. and There are a lot of things that we can learn from him. So. Mark Laura is the founder of Jet.com, Quidsy, The Pit, Inc. He's done a lot of really cool things in his life. Quidsi, which is uh, uh, one of the companies that he's founded, um, ran a business called Diapers.com, which you may have heard of. Uh, his latest position before going on to start or to work on his uh, project to start Telosa, his futuristic city, was uh, acting as president and CEO Of Walmart e-commerce. Lately uh, there has been news about him looking to start a futuristic city called Telosa which I mentioned earlier and I heard that he's looking you know at land and places in the US to start this project. So Mark Lore is obviously super successful uh, but I thought we could dive deeper into how he got to where he is now and what we can learn from his story. So Mark's story starts in Staten Island in New York in 1971. I think Mark comes from a family of entrepreneurs, because Mark's father ran a computer consulting company called Chadmark Systems from 1978 to 2002, and Chadmark Systems uh, provided IT expertise to companies in the banking and oil industries, according to what I understand to be his LinkedIn profile, and perhaps this had a, uh, some sort of influence, maybe on Mark's upbringing. I'm not too certain. But I think Mark is super impressive because his entrepreneurial spirit is very evident at a very young age. Uh, He seems to always have a business mind of his own. When he was a kid, he was mowing lawns, he was pulling weeds. He was going around people's houses and doing these jobs that paid him as a kid. And there's a story that he used to charge his family members five cents to watch TV shows on a projector. There's another story that he started investing in the stock market. And also, invaluable trading cards from the age of fourteen onwards, and there's another story saying that instead of staying in school at the time, he would sometimes run out to the local casinos to count cards. This is from his Wikipedia page at least I find that super interesting. This guy was looking at valuable trading cards back in the day he This is really ahead of his time. So I'll, st- I'll stop here now, I I normally go longer with the story but I'll stop here really quickly and and talk about the first lesson I think that we can get from his his teenage years. So lesson one, I think this guy was very curious about many things as a kid and I think from what I understand of how he was like in school, he, he wasn't a bad student, He I think he just really wanted to experience the real world I say this because I, rem- I remember myself when I was back in high school, I think I used to feel the same way. Um, and I think Mark, you know, unlike me, I think Mark actually went a step further and, and really hustled as a kid. Uh, this guy was finding ways to make money. And it could be contended, you know, as to whether or not an entrepreneurial drive comes from nature or can it be nurtured? But I think there's always a benefit to starting early And using your youth to kind of explore such things while you're young. And this is a great way to figure out what it is that you're passionate about. And this guy was looking at, you know, making money on the side, hustling in different ways, investing in stocks, um, looking at trading cards. this This is quite advanced stuff for a young teenager, I think. And gaining that exposure must have allowed him to, I think, figure out what direction he wanted to go on in life. And for those of you listening who are younger, maybe you're in high school, maybe you're just starting at university. I think that's the first lesson to get from this. It has to really explore when you're still young. Okay, so moving on in the story. So after, this guy went to university and after leaving university, he he took the traditional finance road. I I think this is still very much the traditional finance road and he went into investment banking uh, or he went to work at an investment bank. And he was very good at his job because he rose up the ranks very quickly and became VP and global head of emerging markets risk at Credit Suisse in London. I think back then it was called Credit Suisse First Boston. I'm not too certain. I have to check. And at that time, he I think when he was in London, he also at one point headed the risk management department at Sanwa Bank. Um, During his time at Credit Suisse, Mark co-founded something called the Global Association of Risk Professionals or GARP, with a friend of his called Lev Borodovsky. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And according to Lev's LinkedIn profile, this guy has a PhD in physics. So this association, Global Association of Risk Professionals that he started while he was an employee at Credit Suisse, uh, is a nonprofit organization for risk managers that helps promote risk management practices, helps promote education to to people working risk management, And as of 2020, it has over 260,000 members globally. I think that's really impressive. I think, you know, to be an employee working at a bank where you, you must, you know, have so much responsibility and very little time to do other things, this guy was still being entrepreneurial. Now, Mark is interesting because his entrepreneurial story includes multiple businesses after he worked in finance. So in 1999... Mark co-founded a company called The Pit Inc. I'm just referring to The Pit with his friend Vinit Barara. I, again, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who I understand was his longtime friend. So The Pit is a company that allows people to buy and sell collectible items. And Mark was the CEO of the company until it was sold to a company called Tops in 2001 for $5.7 million at that time. And after the acquisition, Mark went on to run ToPS's uh, miniature games business called WizKids, which I think I heard of when I was younger. Um, now, I've, I've never heard of Topps before, though. But I understand that from the website Topps.com, that's T-O-P-P-S. Uh, they seem to sell collectible cards like the famous match attacks football cards. I know that was a big deal in the UK. I don't know if it's as big of a deal in the US. And I had a look at what I understand to be the PIT's website nowadays, called thepit.com. That's T-H-E space P-I-T. And now, if I'm correct, it seems to be a website that allows people to trade collectible items like baseball cards. And there are buy and sell buttons, the 52 week highs and lows, volumes, IPO dates listed for these valuable cards. And the website almost looks like a stock exchange for, for cards. I think they're basketball cards. I think they're baseball cards. Last time I checked. Now, I don't know if this is the st- still the same business that Mark founded in 1999. Um, nor am I certain as to how much it has changed since he sold the company to Topps. But if you know, the, the the pit that I see now on the website has retained much of what it originally was, then Mark was really ahead of his time because I think you need not look further than, you know, social media feed to see how popular, valuable cards have become. I think Pokemon cards nowadays uh, are a big deal. I remember back in the day, I had some Pokemon cards, I think I gave them away, or maybe threw them out. Had I kept them, I'd probably be quite well to do as of right now. But I think this guy really understood the idea of, of value retention of things that were quite rare, and things that could be traded like cards. Now, moving on, this is kind of the meat of, of his story, how, how, how the I think, big multinational businesses that he started really kicked off. So in 2005, Mark co-founded 1-800-diapers with uh, Vinit, who was his friend. And 1-800-diapers was la- later rebranded as uh, what I understand to be diapers.com, and the parent company was called Quidsy Inc. Q-U-I-D-S-I. So in the beginning, diapers.com sold diapers and according to an article by Forbes, it targeted the 12 million American mothers with children up to the age of three. And Mark had daughters, I understand at that time, and his friend Vinit had just settled down with his wife. So they they were very much in in the beginning steps of, of starting their own, their families. I think they realized that there was a massive market for diapers with very few big players in the e commerce space. And on top of that, I think they wanted to see if you know what the brick and the big brick and mortar stores were doing could perhaps be done on, on online. So the two hired a tech programmer uh, to build the website and build the back end. And the story goes that uh the business would uh they'd have a card, they'd they buy diapers at costco and bj's wholesale club i understand these to be very big chain uh stores in in the u.s uh, as you can probably tell i'm not based in the u.s and uh on the other end uh they would sell the stock that they bought from costco and b B&J, and bj's wholesale club uh now, the tough part when they started this business was that none of the manufacturers and the factories were selling to businesses without a sales record. And obviously, Mark and Vinit did not have a sales record at the time, so they, they couldn't open wholesale accounts with these companies. So they had to find a way around it. And their way of going around it was to just stock up from Costco and BJ's Wholesale Club and to sell it on the other end. And they must have been driving to and from a lot of different Costco stores uh, that they could they could drive to within a reasonable distance i understand that in their first year of operations mark and Vinet closed 2.5 million us dollars that's that's very impressive for two people who were in the beginning of their business unable to do business with wholesalers and and manufacturers and factories i understand in 2006 they closed over four times that amount i think around 11 to 12 million i think around 11 million and eventually, after a while, they had people like Procter and Gamble sending in products. And they caught the attention of these bigger scale manufacturers. And now, market had to, had to then move to larger scale order fulfillment warehouses. That's when the business really kicked off. Now, Quid C went through many ups and downs. But I want to focus on two things specifically from this story. First is their use of data. And second is their initial lack of profitability. Okay, let, let's start with the first. You may remember Lev Borodovsky who made an appearance earlier in the story uh, with Mark when Mark was at Credit Suisse. Now, Lev was brought into Quidzy, and he was tasked with using data from previous Quidzy orders to find the lowest cost possible uh, for packaging which I understand saved $1 per shipment. And you think that on a large scale, it's be a lot of money saved. Second, I wanted to focus on their initial lack of profitability. So the company initially bought diapers from Costco and BJ's wholesale club and sold them to customers, but they were losing money on their orders. But starting with the money losing product allowed them to build really good relationships with mothers to help mothers build an interest in the brand make them aware of the ease of experience, ease of use uh, of of, of their service, and to bring them back in every week, every month as returning customers. And this was quite clever. Uh, They answered calls from customers and placed a real emphasis on customer experience. They built long-term customer relationships that were the foundations on which the company grew. As I mentioned earlier, Procter & Gamble took notice of them eventually and agreed to sell wholesale to them. And over time, the business expanded into Soap.com, YoYo.com, Wag.com, BeautyBar.com, Casa.com, that sold many things from pet products to hygiene products. And in 2011, not that long after they started the business, Amazon bought Quincy for $545 five million U. S. million. Now moving on, in 2014, Mark co-founded a company called Jet or Jet.com. So my understanding is that after selling quincy to Amazon for hundreds of millions he stayed at Amazon to work for a while but he noticed something in the e-commerce market that he thought could possibly be targeted that a lot of other guys in the e-commerce space maybe weren't actually targeting that much. So the issue was that I think he identified that there was a disconnect of some kind in the e-commerce space where e-commerce companies were focused on customers who had more money to spend who are more focused on convenience, speed of delivery, for example, instead of value. Now, I'm paraphrasing what Marx has said there, uh, but I think what he, what he wanted to, to target, fix was that he understood most people would probably be willing to have longer wait times relative to some of the other players in the market, should they be able to pay less for goods and get more bang for their buck, essentially. So JET was founded as a business that solved this and targeted this specifically. Uh, JET provided customers with low prices, but relatively longer delivery times. And goods were sold at a lower price in a few ways. First, uh, goods were priced according to the locations of the fulfillment centers that they were from. So customers that bought from the same fulfillment center would end up paying less in comparison to buying the goods from a bunch of different fulfillment centers in different places in the U.S. And second, you know, should customers decide to let go of their rights to return the goods, uh, their prices would actually be lowered. That was quite clever. And in 2016, Walmart acquired Jet.com for $3.3 billion. I think this was just a couple of years after he started the business so i'm going to stop here really quickly and and i've talked quite a lot but I i want to start lesson two which is the second lesson i think we can get from this part of mark's story i actually think there are a few things in the story until now that are worthy of analysis so first we can see that mark was a consistent entrepreneur what i mean by that is that it seemed to me that he was tactical in taking opportunities he saw to then start something there so while I'm at an employee at a very big financial company he started what became one of if if not the biggest organizations for risk managers i think it's one of the biggest if not the biggest and i'm certain this guy was easily making a comfortable living in finance i'm not too certain how much people in his position made every year for a living, but I'm certain he was doing just okay, just fine at the very least. I'm certain this guy had made enough money to spend for generations after the Quincy acquisition by Amazon, but he kept on looking for opportunities to start cool things. Uh, Things which targeted, you know, areas that really needed help perhaps, or opportunities that he could really make the most out of to add value to people's lives. 260,000 people, uh, over 260,000 people use an organization that he started when he was an employee at a bank. I, I think, you know, you still let that sink in for a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know a lot of people who, you know, work at banks, but I have a feeling that not many of them uh, have started global organizations on the side uh, with their friends that has then Impacted the lives and education of hundreds of thousands of people in their sector. I think that's really cool But it takes a certain entrepreneurial sense and to be consistent in that entrepreneurial sense even if you're comfortable in life um, Analyzing this I can't help but think that starting businesses and projects was was more than just a job to him I could be wrong, but it really sounds like he had figured out that he had a calling in life early on, and was relentless in pursuing it in any creative way he could. I think that's special, and if you have a calling in life, and you really believe in it, you should pursue it. I think if I were to turn that into a one-sentence philosophy, it'd probably be that. Second, I think Mark's method for looking for opportunities seemed to be like this. Again, I don't know Mark personally, but looking at his story, this seems to be how he approached it, I think he looked at what some of the big players in the market are doing he would identify what they are not doing well enough or areas of the market there that these guys are not servicing and this requires a high level of understanding of what consumers really want and this requires a high level understanding of what current trends are and where trends will lead to and then target these areas with innovative business models that solved whatever problems they were like Jep.com, for example, is a very classic example of this. And in order to do this, I think, you know, even as a CEO, you have to have a very clear understanding of uh, the the market that you're servicing, not at a very high level, but I think at at a very, uh, at, at, at the customer's level, I think. And I think there are many ways of doing this. I'm not certain how Mark exactly went about doing this, but I think, you know, even if you are president of a company, CEO of a company, Spending time with your customers, spending time with people at all levels of your company, must be, you know, something that is helpful to helping you better understand the climate, the trends, the gaps in the market that you're servicing, and allow you to outthink some of the bigger conglomerates, perhaps have, who have done business in a certain way traditionally for many many years, and you know it's worked, but the world changes. And this allows you to really really take advantage of the first move for advantage when you're entering a certain market or if you're looking to disrupt a certain market. Now, obviously this is really easy to say. If anything, I think this is actually super obvious. You don't need me to tell you any of this, but upon a closer look, I think it's really tough to do because it requires a sense of creativity, flexible thinking, even bravery when you're comfortable, even to try something new in a well-established market. Because by that time, I think e-commerce was already relatively well established, but he still had the guts essentially to challenge the status quo and try to go ahead and service a market that perhaps a lot of online retailers would not. And I think to retain this part of your personality, even after attaining unimaginable success is perhaps one of the big things that differentiate Mark from a lot of other entrepreneurs I've read about third, I think we can take a closer look at Quincy, his first really big company. I think I think the pit was a sizable business, but Quincy is a different level. So look at the story. They went from wholesalers not willing to sell to them to blowing up the block and not just diapers or in the diapers business, but also in many areas of pets, personal hygiene and household items, etc. They leveraged data working with Lev to optimize costs and persisted through Uh, building good relationships essentially with customers despite initially losing money. So the two lessons from this really are, I think, uh, to, to think really flexibly. I think because of the number of startups that fail because of the obstacles that they cannot overcome at the early stages of business, when no one is really supporting you or nobody would really do business with you, the problems could be in sales, supply chains, building the tech, could be anything. But you gotta have this ability to adapt and really take on a problem-solving mindset against these odds. And the way in which he did this was to leverage data, for example, and whatever existing network he could that could help him, help him do this. And this goes on to the second lesson I think is to maintain good contacts throughout your life. Now I don't know what Mark and Lev's relationship is like nowadays. It's many years afterwards. This is only analysis based on the an analysis based on the public information available, but. I can only assume that Mark must have been very good at building his network at the start of his career with those around him, which led him bringing Lev back into business with him, uh, having known each other at Credit Suisse. I suppose the lesson there is to never forget those who you've worked with before. Work really hard to build good relationships with these people around you because you never know when these people in your network would be there to help you help your business, etc. Okay, moving on with the story. After selling his business to Walmart, uh, Mark took a position as president and CEO of Walmart's uh, U.S. e-commerce business. And Mark did many things while he was at Walmart, but I, I wanted to focus on one specific tactic during his time at the company. I-, I think there's value in being relatively niche in this sense. So Walmart had a problem. It was, it was really a problem problem like a hole that needed to be plugged but I think Walmart was facing a challenge that was going to become quite a big problem at some point in the future had they not dealt with it early on and this problem was that it had a massive present in presence in the US but Amazon was growing rapidly at that time in the e-commerce space Amazon had also just acquired Whole Foods which solidified its position in the grocery business. Walmart, to my understanding, is in the grocery business also. So, Mark Mark kind of had to deal with this issue when he was at Walmart, and I think what he did was actually quite clever. So, Mark thought that Walmart had an advantage over its competitors, and that advantage was its ability to dispatch stock. What I mean by this is that, 90% of US citizens at that time lived within a 10-mile radius of a Walmart store. So, clearly Walmart, to my understanding at that time, was everywhere in the US and probably still is. And Walmart also had over 1 million associates. I'm not too sure what the exact number was, but I know it's over 1 million. This meant that Walmart could quickly fulfill its deliveries of foods that were fresh and frozen when they arrived at your front door. And this meant that Walmart could be an early player in the same-day delivery space. So you'd buy something and get to your front door in two, three hours. Uh, Two hours, I think, was the the official time. I have to check that. But at the very least, same-day delivery at a much lower cost than their competitors. And people were able to get fresh groceries quickly at a low cost. And what this did was added obviously the quality of the of the goods and services that you're providing but this added to customer experience and built brand loyalty and to compete with uh, other people in the industry amazon for example mark helped launch walmart's free two-day deliveries for orders over 35 dollars, but charged no membership fee uh i think amazon prime charges a membership fee but at that time i think mark didn't didn't, didn't do that with walmart and this t- free two-day deliveries then became a one-day delivery uh, initiative and Walmart during his tenure there became the second biggest uh, player in this area of e-commerce in the US and the stock price, I think, doubled during his time there. So I think this brings us to to lesson three. I think Mark's entrepreneurial work is, is characterized by many things, but one of which is coming in consistently as somewhat of an underdog from one perspective, Improving himself to be a competent innovator again and again and again. So while at Walmart, his tactic was to leverage existing assets in the business to compete with new competitors by using them in a new way and taking advantage of them. Uh, or at the very least, I think, to compete with uh, competitors in a new space, in this case being e-commerce, a relatively new space. And I, I think you know, this is a demonstration of creativity. You may have a business, or you may have... An idea for a business or you may be running a company with existing assets i think there's of course value in bringing in new things into the business acquiring new things uh, but at the same time you know there, there may be value in looking at the existing assets that you have what kind of weapons do you have in your arsenal and seeing how you could exploit these and you know as exploit in a good way uh take advantage of these in a business sense to compete with people who the wider public may you know, attach words like innovation and, and, and disruption to when really you also have the weapons to deal with them, not really deal with them, but you also have the weapons necessary to compete well with these entrants into the market. Um, sometimes this may sound kind of Buddhist, but looking inside instead of externally may also have its business benefits. I have a feeling this translates to a life lesson also, I think, outside of business. Mm. You may also realize that you have it in you to overcome certain obstacles and challenges in life. Again, I say this outside of a business context, but we can learn from the way in which Mark basically, I think, took a big step to disrupt the grocery business, the e-commerce business, essentially using what Walmart already had. Uh, One lesson for that is also to see, you know, what you already have within your own personal arsenal to deal with these new challenges and problems in life and these new obstacles that you may face and that i think is where i will stop uh, talking about the story of mark lore now this guy is going to go on to start uh, a city i understand called telosa i don't have a whole lot to say about that as of right now Uh, i think with the information available but i know it's some really interesting stuff and if you just go online google it i'm certain you'll find a lot of uh a lot of uh informative information about this new project as it continues to progress but looking at mark's life story i think you know we, we've looked at three big lessons throughout his life broken down into smaller sub lessons i suppose but the idea of exploring if you're young to figure out you know what it is that you're really interested in what is it you're passionate about do you have a calling in life is is, is something that can really set you up in the long run. And the only way to figure this out is to go out there and try these things, explore. I'm not telling you to not pay attention in school. I think it's really important to pay attention in school. It certainly has its benefits, but what I'm trying to say is that sometimes think outside of you know the books that you're reading and think about you know what is out there in the real world for me that really interests me and what I can do now to really gain a footing in whatever it is I'm interested in obviously to do so in a very tactical way to maximize the lessons that you can learn from these experiences. Uh, we've also looked at his entrepreneurial experiences with The Pit, with uh, uh, Quincy, com, for example, look at how they overcame these challenges at the beginning uh, when even wholesale uh, businesses and manufacturers, factories were not willing to do business with them, how they overcame that Thinking quite uh, creatively uh, to build a very successful business and how he saw opportunities in a relatively well-established market with well-established players, in other sense the e-commerce space, and looked to disrupt that by trying to work with customers whose demands sometimes were not fully met by the existing companies in in the space. We then also looked at his time at Walmart when he was working for a company instead and he wasn't, he he wasn't the founder of Walmart, he was working at Walmart and how he used existing assets, existing advantages that Walmart had to compete with a relatively new entrance with a lot of innovation uh, in in, in a market where they had been very dominant in. I think there are stories, uh, sorry, there are lessons from this part of the story that are translatable to business and also translatable to life. And yeah, I think that brings this episode of the podcast to a close. Um, I hope this has been useful. I hope uh, this has been entertaining, and I, I hope that you know, you've picked up one or two things from here uh, that may be able to you know you may be able to use in business or in life. And I want to round up by saying this: like podcasts are a pretty cool thing because you can listen to them wherever you are. You put in some headphones, and you're on the bus or just walking to work or to class or whatever you can listen to what i'm saying but there's also some sense in some sense you know a disconnect between you know me somebody behind the mic and you i don't know where you are in the in the big wide world listening to this but if you have any feedback if you have any thoughts you know i want to i want to bridge this disconnect and if you have any you know comments on how i could do better you know obviously this is my first ever podcast episode it's a little um I was, it's a little nerve-wracking, I suppose, to be behind a mic. But if if you have any thoughts on how I could do better, if you have any constructive feedback or comments, just honestly, please do reach out to me, and I'll 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 get back to you. Uh, I'll I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can, or at least tell you that you know this is a very helpful. Thank you. I'll try to integrate it into the into the podcasts. I want to bring something of value to you guys who are listening, and I want to be able to really you know bring something that can help other people. So if you have any ideas, any thoughts, any feedback feel free to let me know. I'd I'd really welcome any feedback and comments and help uh, you may be able to give me too. I hope you guys have a really good day. I hope you guys have a really good week. Thank you very much for your time. My name is Charles Sin, and thank you for listening to this podcast.